It's Survivor's Friendly Fire Show, episode 222, for Thursday. I don't know which number. The 20-somethingth of November, I think. Or maybe we're into December. It, it doesn't matter at this point. Who cares? Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Steve Wright. Joining me is uh, Ben Salter. This is pre-recorded because I'm going to Indonesia. This is clearly where I always am, not Indonesia. So it's also the holiday mm. season, so get ready for some filler content, but good filler content. It's not filler content, Steve. This is the same gold we always deliver, and there's no point pretending that we don't occasionally record an episode in advance. You are going to Indonesia, and that's super fun, uh, and that's that's what you should be doing. So we're just getting out some some good material about stuff that we wanted to talk about but didn't quite make it into previous episodes because we're so we're, we're strapped for time. Right, and we had a math a ma- a massive a massive Pokemon marathon last episode. Mm. Um, and we're not talking about that, but I guess sort of related, but not. When we're recording this, it's Black Friday, uh, and there are sales to be had. You don't have to even turn your head; they'll just slap you in the face. So um, I don't know if you've gotten anything. I have been playing today Sonic Frontiers because it was thirty percent off, and I'm like, I don't think I'd buy it full price, but I'd buy it for thirty percent off. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Oh, oh really? I'm thoroughly enjoying eighty percent of it. There's some I really, really bad pain points, but otherwise it's actually quite fun. Like The thing is, fun. I mean, 3D Sonic is one of my guilty pleasures. I actually mostly enjoy it. Like, even though I get that it's kind of bad and it's nowhere near as good as the 2D games, but I still enjoy playing them. Uh, so, yeah, I'm keen to play it. The only reason I didn't buy it at 30% off is because it's been out for, what, a month, if that, and it's already down to, like, 50 bucks. So it's definitely going to be, like, 25 bucks in another two months. Guaranteed. Probably true. Um, and you, as a Sonic fan, should get it at $25 or $50. If, if you have a backlog, there's no point getting it for $50 when you can get it for $25. So, um, yeah. It's- uh, my only purchase is on the desk, which is this, which is Gran Turismo 7 for 39 bucks, which I think is a good deal. And it's at the point where I like Gran Turismo as not really a big car guy. I did play it so much on PS2 that it's like it's a novelty, nostalgic type of thing that I enjoy dipping back in. Not for 125 bucks. That was a bit much for me. But 39 bucks, I think, is a good deal. And it's also promising that like these really expensive Sony games come down to a reasonable price within like six to nine months. Like they don't for a little while there, it seemed like they were going to just stay at that really high price point. But it kind of seems like if you wait, you can still get a good deal. Well, and I guess the thing to talk about is you have a disc copy. So I'm assuming you got it from Amazon at that reduced rate. I did. Uh, and even though they failed me on Pokemon and they just never shipped it, they shipped this. I ordered this yesterday and it arrived this morning on a Saturday. Like it's, I don't know how they do that wizardry. So when they work, they work well. I would just never pre-order a game that you actually want from Amazon. I agree. Um, and the weird thing is, I guess, I wasn't expecting Sonic Frontiers to be on sale digitally for a long time and that's like i got hmm. mine digitally 30 percent off which that's kind of why i just pulled the trigger because i'm like ah i don't want to play you know a disc i do i don't mind playing a disc but half the time if i have a disc of something my husband will walk in and be like oh that looks cool and i'm like well you can't play this particular thing because it's connected it's, to this disc and not connected to any of the xboxes or playstations we have we've had the digital disc debate so many times on this show the gist is basically, it's nearly always cheaper on disc, and if you're happy to go with it, that's the way you should go. Uh, but if, you, if you're happy to go digital, the Xbox Series S has been like $399 Australian everywhere, 
which is a pretty good price for a current gen console, especially since the PS5 has gone up in price. It's like it's half the price of a PS5. Uh, and I would kind of suggest that if you just want Game Pass and that's all you want at that price point. I've been pretty like there's no point in a Series S in Australia at 500 bucks, but at 400, I can now see value in it. I think it should stay at that price if it can. Yeah, well, and yeah, it depends what you have in the house as well to make it a bit easier. If you have like a spare eight terabyte hard drive from an old console lying around, it makes it a bit mm. easier to manage the storage issue that we've also talked about so many times. Um, but it's a good entry point. And, you know, like also in the news, in the midst of all these sales, we're seeing EB Games sell pre-owned PlayStation 5s for basically yeah. the same price as a new PlayStation 5. So... Well, the same price you paid if you bought one before, like two months ago, like at seven fifty for a pre-owned PS Five. That's that's a bit dirty, EB Games. Like I get it. There's strong demand for these consoles, and they can probably get that money. Uh, but what do you think they're buying them for? Like probably five hundred bucks. Like it's even fifty bucks lower than that. I would kind of say, okay. I just think it's a it's a bit dirty of them. Yeah, and I'm I'm not sure. I need to brush up on how the warranty works. I think you get. I don't know. You get 12 months. Yeah. Well, yeah. is that enough? Who knows? Like, buyer beware, I suppose. For 50 not... bucks, I think I'd advise just getting a new PlayStation, to be perfectly honest. It's yeah. Probably, and you're starting to be able to get one a little bit easier, so... They're absolutely doing it because they know at some point someone's going to walk in and say, I would like a PS5, please. And they say, we don't have any new ones, but you can get this crummy old one. And look, at this point, they're probably all in decent condition still. That said, the people who are trading in their PS5 to EB now, two years in, they either like haven't used it at all, so it's going to be pristine, and that's why they got rid of it, or I bet you it's like fully rough, and it's like just been thrashed and thrown all over the place, and someone's just been like, just get rid of it. Uh, I reckon it's one of those two. You get like a crummy, awful one, or like pristine. And again, Maybe I a bit need, dusty. I need to brush up, brush up on consumer law and stuff, but I'm imagining they have to when they take it in do the not only like the power checks but also like internet checks and all that like you, you see horror yeah. stories on reddit all the time of people being like oh here's an xbox or a playstation that's like 300 dollars cheaper like what a bargain people are like that person's definitely done something to get that console like banned from the playstation network or the xbox network so if it seems yeah. too good to be true it probably is I think they do do a proper refurbish of some sort, but yes, as you say, it's a little bit crummy. You could probably just buy a new one for that price, but no doubt it's due to demand. Well, there you go. Uh, hmm. I don't know if I have anything else Black Friday sale related. It's I'm kind of that no. person that just gets the things he wants. If as they go, mm. which makes Christmas fun and everything else too. But you know, that's that's how I work, and I don't need yeah. storage or anything. Like usually, I buy, I get like lame things, but. I bought yeah, storage I lately, things. and I upgraded my PS5 storage facility or capability already, so... Must be nice. What you're saying is first world problems, you're too well sorted to even need Black Friday. I'm too organized. Or Black Friday, Fortnite, or whatever's happened, like getting all these emails of places saying, oh, Black Friday sale starts early, and then like the day before, it's like, it's about to end. Like, you shouldn't have even started yet. Anyway, that's a different complaint that's coming from an old man part of my brain. Well, the old man, you and I, or me at least, uh, you didn't say that you're as, as self-indulgent as I am, but, you know, I, I want for nothing now. But mm. the 2002 version of me had, like, 10 cents to his name and could get maybe, like, one or two games a year. How, how time has changed things. Um, I think we alluded to talking about this, you know, how 22, 2002, I can't do numbers yeah. in my head, was pretty good. We, we didn't talk about it last week, so we should talk about it this week. 
what scene? Yeah, it, it, it's celebrating. There's a bunch of 20th anniversaries. It's also kind of worked out. This is episode 222, and we're doing 2002 20th anniversaries. Lots of twos going on, and it kind of fits. Uh, and the main thing that made me kind of realize how much of a banger 2002 was is one of the devs of Metroid Prime started tweeting out all these like it's a 20th anniversary, so I'm going to just release some secrets. And I kind of wish more games would do that. Like years later, just kind of say, this is how that thing works. He did like 12 or so developer diaries, basically, just on Twitter. He's at uh, ZoidCTF, I believe. I'll make and sure the tweet that you've linked gets in the show notes if people are curious. I just picked one at random, which is basically the static you see when you see certain enemies. Like the GameCube didn't have enough memory to be able to have that as a texture. So they found out a way to kind of jumble the game's code and have that appear on screen at the right time. And so you're seeing the game's code running to look like static. Like cool little things like that. And they explain how like the why when you're in a morphball puzzle, like one of they have to have a little door at the end sometimes. And often you wouldn't have ever seen that, but they had to put that in because people were getting to the end too quickly. And you just fall through the world because the GameCube couldn't load the next stage fast enough. Like stuff like that and having to find those problems. There's a weird one about like an error that they were encountering and Nintendo wouldn't let them kind of ship the game because of this error. And they could only reproduce it by making a really cold console do something. So they had to have a GameCube like in a freezer to get it to like reproduce this error, which no other game was having. Like weird stuff. How did they fix and that one? I don't know. It was that's so cool. They did explain that, but yeah, there's a bunch of stuff like that, and it's kind of like I wish more games would do this when you kind of look back over 20 years or 10 years or whatever, and kind of say, "Hey, that thing that you probably never even noticed. This is why, and this is how it happened before it gets lost." Because this is just stuff in some guy's memory. Like eventually, people are going to forget this stuff. So yeah, uh, some cool design choices in games like that. And like I guess in contrast, we're, we're getting things like a Splinter Cell remake. Not not mm. time for the 20th anniversary. That's this year, but you know, their Ubisoft is now taking to YouTube and stuff with videos that are sort of in the same vein, but like actually nowhere near it because it's it's usually like current day Ubisoft people kind of reflecting on what they thought yeah. of the old Splinter Cell and how maybe you're, they're going to improve AI and this and that and the other, which is nice and it's good to know for the new game. But like you said, we're losing access i think clint hawking was ubisoft and then not and then back and then not i think he's not again so like we don't have these people attached to those original games able to give us those insights unless they're provided somewhere and we you know try to compile them for posterity that's right and it's gonna sell a weird one in that like the last game so it's gonna be 10 years between blacklist and the reboot and so it's kind of weird that Ubisoft is like, it's 20 years of Splinter Cell. But not really when the last 10 of that has been nothing. So good on you for bringing it back eventually, Ubisoft. Well, that remains to be seen if it's worth bringing back. I hope after all of this no, demand and all of this time, it's not bad. Mm. Well, I guess uh, we have the same sort of thing. Battlefield, 20 years. And uh, 2042 is, is very much in a period of rebuilding and regaining of trust. Yeah, so, I mean, that's one of the many bangers that came out in 2002, Battlefield 1942. That actually makes me feel old, that one, because I remember playing that. That was like a you-could-get-it-in-the-cereal-box-level game for, like, a brief window, and it was, like, a really good... Or maybe it was Battlefield 2 or Vietnam. One of them. Not a fact-based show. <laughs> uh, so, like, that was the big multiplayer game of the day that you needed a powerful PC for because it wasn't a thing on consoles yet. And then it's, it's kind of crazy to think in the same year that you get like a Metro Prime, you get a Mario Sunshine, you get the first Animal Crossing, and that's that's all on a console which wasn't super successful and also exclusively got Resident Evil 1 Remake and Resident Evil Zero in the same year. 
Like, could well, you imagine that happening in the same year? Capcom, Capcom, did, yeah, uh, you can get it on everything. But yes, I know what you mean. That was that was a good year for Gamecom, Gamecom, Gamescom GameCube. people who also like GameCube. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Cap, the, yeah, yeah, the Capcom Five. So, imagine, like, imagine if they had gone with like, here's Resident Evil Four remake and Resident Evil Nine. Like, it just wouldn't happen now. Anyhow, well, and. I don't think Zero was any good, so that's... But it, it, it showed off a really cool GameCube thing that they could do with the zapping and, like, having basically just two characters anywhere and, and switching back and forth, which, you know, now you, you take mm. for granted. Yeah, of course that could happen. What do you mean? But, like... Oh, like and... Sorry? Sorry, no, go ahead. Oh, like, go just ahead. like you were saying with all the Metroid um, Prime stuff, like, having to be really inventive to do this. Like, they had to be inventive on the GameCube to get a lot of that to happen and to make it look seamless when behind the scenes it was very much not seamless so that's yeah cool. i think i think it was a big part of that generation was things looked so amazing because it was such a big jump from like the n64 ps1 to the ps2 xbox gamecube uh things look so much better and they ran so much better but we're kind of only now finding out some little secrets and the hacks to actually get that to happen and like the gamecube was way more powerful than the ps2 was and i think the xbox was a step up again and like those consoles were struggling so how did some of these games run on the ps2 which was way more popular but much weaker so it's just kind of it's it's somewhat fascinating if you're interested in the history of games to now look at how that actually happened and we complain about things now but they were quite ingenious in getting some of these things to actually work back in the day yeah and i think some of it i can't remember i i remember trying to read about some of this stuff something had it had something to do with the the gamecube disc because it was that kind of like too small little thing yeah but i yeah i can't remember and having to shuffle things to memory i think I think Resident Evil Zero had two discs. I can't remember yeah, anymore. I think all the Resident Evils did, because it was like a 1.5 gigabyte disc, the GameCube mini disc. Uh, certainly four was two discs. I think, not a fact-based show, I think they all were. I think so. It was like, yeah, at some point you just hit the change disc now, which was a thing back then. And up until last gen, that was still a thing, but kind of weird now to think about that. Talking about not wanting to have a do disc, you have to change discs for the same game. Like, anyway, where. We're so well serviced now by just being able to change to one of our thousand games that are available. You can stream anything. You'd have to get up off the couch to continue the game you're currently playing. <laughs> Used to be hard, Dave. Well, um, I don't know. Like, there's a ton of other games, like, just that maybe I'm not a huge fan of or didn't kind of grow up with, but, like, they're so formative for so other many people. Um, like, The Elder Scrolls mm. 3, I'm more of a Fallout guy, but, you know, like, that's that was kind of like the, the renaissance, the return yeah, of the proper. Um, and there would have been no Oblivion without that. There would have been no Skyrim, and if we ever get it, and Todd Howard is still working there, in Elder Scrolls Six, like there wouldn't be that, there wouldn't be Skyrim on a fridge without Morrowind. That's that's right. Time Splitters Two was pretty big. I don't know if you played that. That was like GameCube, PS Two. I don't know if it was Xbox. Uh, that was like post GoldenEye, kind of the next level. I remember playing that. A lot of split screen of that as like this is the big jump. And I think it was mainly that it ran at like a decent frame rate instead of like. 12 frames a second so that was a big deal back in the day uh you had that you had like the first ratchet and clank is pretty notable coming out in 2002 so 20 years ago and i think at the time it was kind of like you're trying to find your next mario sony like they hadn't really having crashed gone um cross-platform by then they didn't really have that kind of family-friendly mascot and i would say they somewhat achieved that now like i didn't feel that at the time but it's it's a pretty big franchise now oh yeah um, Kingdom Hearts, which I did play mm. a ton of, and that was back when the story, well, it got, it got convoluted near the end, but, like, if you try to 
figure out what the story of Kingdom Hearts is as a franchise now. Like, that's, you know, there's yeah. a 2.7 remix, Cake Walker 5 slash 7. <laughs> yes, I, yeah. I don't, I don't understand the 1.8. That's the one that confused me. Like, 1.5 I can kind of get, but anyway, I digress. The first Kingdom Hearts is really, really good. The second Kingdom Hearts is actually quite good as well. Kind of goes off the rails. Like, I still like the, the gameplay and stuff, and it's fun to see all the Disney characters within, but it gets mm. a little too, like, Square Enix- yeah, very japanese yes <laughs> yeah and of course in 2002 we had hitman 2 the first time so we had hitman 2 in 2018 but we had a different hitman 2 in 2002 which is the first one i played and the first time i was like this is like a really cool game you have different options i hadn't really had that a lot in that at least that kind of 3d sandbox ish for the time style game where you actually had you could take this person out this way or you could do this or you could do that uh, and obviously they went totally different and they, they opened it up and they took it full on next level 15 years later. But at the time, it was pretty amazing. And it still kind of annoys me there are two Hitman 2s. Like, I know everyone's doing that these days, but like, come on. Can we wrap this show up? I got to go play Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Yeah. Not the first one, not the remastered one, j just the, the, the new num number two. That'd be how, many, how many poor kids do you think are going to get like a, a PS3 copy of modern warfare 2 2009 for christmas because their mom's just google like ebayed it and being like playstation modern warfare 2 and being like oh i'm not going to pay a hundred dollars in jb hi-fi it's it's 18 here on eb ebay oh, like God. is are any someone. of them at least back compat on xbox i'm not sure because at least the kid if they have a disc could pop it in and, and still play a game but who knows yeah yeah it is huh. they they're all back compat on xbox so not that the kid's yes. gonna be happy about that like that's not even the silver no. lining there it's just like oh it could happen yeah i set up my nephew on um i think i've told i can't remember if i've told the story before or not like my nephew's 13 14 um and like I was trying to do the right thing. I, I gave him an old Xbox back in the day and we set up his gamer tag, but I had his dad sitting beside me and we set up his dad with a gamer tag and I did all the child filters and stuff. And then his dad's kind of like, I don't want to have to deal with this anymore, but I'm like, okay, I can't turn it off. So I've like shifted all the family stuff around. So like I'm essentially in control of my nephew's. That's fine. Well, yeah, which is fine. And like my sister doesn't know what she's doing. She's just like, please do this for me. Um, I got an email yesterday being like, your nephew wants to buy Call of Duty Warzone 2 because it's like 17 plus. So I had to like approve it. And I just, sorry, kiddo. Like, I know you're already playing Warzone, but click. Now you can play Warzone 2. Family stuff is Congrats. cool and weird, but yeah. I don't know why I brought up that story. I just, it was It's strange that you, you can't turn it off at some point just being like, you know what? We made a mistake. I, I kind of get maybe legally they've kind of said, like you've said, this is for someone who's below whatever the age limit is. But yeah, it's it's weird that they don't give you an opt-out at some point. There's some weird convoluted ways to do it, but it's like a 10-step process, and I tried, and like a, the extra layer of like the Canada-Australia thing makes it a little bit more complex. But like one of mm. the weirdest things that I've encountered with, with my nephew is that like he can play all of the NBA 2K stuff, but when it gets to my player, I, guess, I think that's the right one, like because it involves the city and all that like virtual currency like gambling stuff, they've put a lock on that portion of the game so he can play like 90% of the game but not the version that his friends can play because their parents didn't put any child didn't locks on their mm. accounts like oops oh boy anyway. this is all minor no one, day, cares. This kid, no one cares this kid gets access to all these games yeah. you're giving him so he, had, he gets game pass for Christmas and like that's his problem and like 2002 me had like I said the two games a year that he could yeah. afford 
damn yeah. kids, they don't know how good they have it. That's right. We just had one of those games we just talked about for the whole year, basically. So totally different. I would play Resident Evil Remake or 4 or any of them just over and over and over. And like for that that 30 seconds of different ending, which was generally just like a picture of one of the characters with like a little bit of flavor text, but I would play the whole game through 8, 9, 10 hours just to get that mm. like 30 second screen because then I was cool. I suppose that's the only thing that's been lost in this kind of Game Pass, PlayStation Plus have your whole whole selection of games is you kind of lose that you need to replay the same game over and over because it's all you have that we had as kids like so you'd you'd find those little things that were different about a different ending or you'd explore and find the hidden areas or you'd actually do the side quests of things uh i'm sure kids do still just kind of love one game and play it forever but you're not forced to anymore well and if we're if we're kind of done with this topic and want to move on to the second one maybe that's a good segue Hmm. because i don't know if a lot of games encourage that kind of stuff anymore because instead it's more tied behind some sort of monetization system um and that is i guess what a little bit of controversy was revolving around this week as the callisto protocol um just ahead of its launch on the second of december i believe um announced details of its season pass there's like three major content drops as part of it uh or no yeah three one of them is just like a skin pack there's two game bundles one's like a a horde mode one is a higher difficulty and permadeath um, and the latter two have a total of 25 extra death animations and i think the the huge controversy was ign might have reported on this as if it was like a battle pass and Mm. not a season pass and i understand the, the confusion with all of these pass systems um, this is more like a DLC bundle of stuff tacked onto the game for an extra charge. It's only available with Digital Deluxe. What do you think about all the stuff that's happened? And then we can talk about it, you know, specifics later. Yeah, I'd, so uh, Glenn Schofield, who's the director, I think, or founder or something like that, uh, he pretty much straight away said we need to hit back on what IGN said. And it's, you know, we're not trying to charge you more. We're not holding anything back. This is all going to be new content. And I don't think anyone's up in arms about the the content packs that are coming, the two expansions or DLC or whatever they are. It was all around those kind of new animations that are being added, which it, I can see how it got reported this way because it's it's kind of what they said. It was kind of like pre-order now and you get access to these extra animations later on. And they were kind of like, no, you were not holding anything back. This is going to be new stuff later. But but like you are holding stuff back. Otherwise, you wouldn't know that's a thing that's come. Like, how do you know there's 25 new animations if you haven't done anything on them? Like, yeah. how, how can you be sure? And it's not like, a, it's not a pre-order bonus if it's tied to the digital deluxe version, which is yeah. 125, I think, Australian as compared to 100. Um, in Steam, it's just like, this is part of the digital deluxe. If you look at the Xbox store, it says that the season pass is like a pre-order bonus for the digital deluxe. But like, however you spin it, it's an extra fee to get this specific mm. version, and that's where the season pass is. I tried to get um, like word on standalone pricing for the DLC packs, or even for like standalone pricing for the season pass on the whole, and I haven't heard back yet. So like, it's it is stuff being held back from people behind a paywall. And I like I don't really care so much about the death animations. I know the games are really big, like big on that. Um, having a higher difficulty in permadeath tied to a fee doesn't seem great in my opinion. Yeah, I think probably would have been best if they didn't respond. They just kind of let it be like, this is what it is. I think their response being like, no, no, you've been wrong about this. We're not holding anything back. We're, we're being squeaky clean and we're doing a great thing for our customers. 
I don't know. I think you you kind of are holding stuff back and you're gating some of it behind this. And maybe that's fine. Maybe it's like if that's what you're doing, don't try to pretend you're not. Uh, and I feel like probably mid-last generation, everything had a season pass. And it was kind of before the game was even out, they were trying to sell you the next thing. And it was very much a, why don't you give me the game first? And let's see if it's any good. And then I'll think about getting the next thing. They were very big on, you know, buy the season pass before you even bought the game. And that kind of tailed off a little bit. And so it's kind of happened less. And I think this has kind of brought it back in the sense that it's it's trying to do that old school way of selling you stuff before you even got the game. Uh, and we've lost the days of a game coming out, being great, and then them deciding, let's continue that and add DLC. Like that, I can't remember the last game that did that. It seems to be all planned before, long before anything's been released. And I can see that, but it makes DLC a bit less exciting to me. Well, and there's like the two sides of that coin. There's like the God of War Ragnarok, which is like, here is the complete product. That's it. That's probably, that's pretty much all mm. you're going to get. We might add in like a weird costume or something as like a fun bonus or, you know, like in the case of God of War PS4 to PS5, like give you a, a bit of a performance boost update when we can. But like there's no DLC planned for Ragnarok right. as far as but. I know. There wasn't for the first one. Um, so that's it. You, you pay your money. Boom. And, you know, like that maybe is part of the reason why Sony decided to up their pricing to 125 because they've put all this time and effort in. That's the only money they're ever going to get out of you for that experience. It's not like a Last of Us multiplayer thing where you can buy skins on the go. Um, yeah. And then you have this side where it's, you know, like we, you already have the, the post-launch pricing already planned. Um, and I guess I'm not sure. It's probably a combination of both to some extent. Like it could be the publisher, which is Crafton, uh, who do PUBG. Like I don't know how much striking distance get what they get to do or say about this like they're probably committed to have to make this stuff and charge so much as part of a normal game so i don't know yeah is what it is i think it would have been best if less was said i think the <laughs> ign were probably a little bit wrong in how they reported it but i don't think that much so i think it was kind of unclear in how the marketing reported it so they were a little bit vague on purpose, which kind of made the headline a bit vague. And then the developer has stepped in and they've been a bit probably too much on the front foot when it wasn't that wrong. And it's got a little bit messy in how it's been reported from all fronts now. Yeah. Well, and like, I really like Glenn Schofield. He's the guy who, you know, dreamed yeah. up Dead Space. And that's what this is, really. So I'm super excited for this game. But he made news in September being extremely proud of his team like crunching for months on end to get this done it's like no that's not how that's not how we do this anymore guy yeah <laughs> and he kind of walked his comments back but like in a it was more of that like i'm sorry that you're sorry or i'm sorry that you're angry for this rather than yeah acknowledging Which, what was happening yeah he does seem like this type of guy who maybe shouldn't be tweeting things uh could be good advice. He's, he's, he's kind of gotten away with it twice. I think the third one might be the one that ends it. So maybe wow. just leave it now. Speaking of guys who shouldn't tweet any, me. Uh, you can find me mm. on the internet at SRightAU on Hive and Mastodon and social and not social, Twitter, which is social. for If it's still up, I don't know. All the, all the things. Yeah, it's still there. Who cares? Uh, I don't even want to be tweeting or doing anything anyway. How, how do we find yeah. you? What's what's going on? Well, I'm Ben underscore Salter on Twitter. That's basically the only place I still am at the moment. And it doesn't really matter because you're on holidays. I'm not on holidays, but I've got nothing to say. Exactly. Well, because I've been gone for two weeks, we're, we're still going to be in your ear holes next week. We've got some some special things planned. Uh, I think we might come back the last week or the, the week after that and maybe have one big finale. We'll do game of the year. Maybe we'll talk some Callisto Protocol because we'll both have had a chance to play it. Yeah, we'll definitely be back for the next few weeks. 
Sometimes live. Well, not live. It's never live. What am I talking no, about? We'll see we'll you later. There. We'll see you then. Bye. <laughs>